So welcome for those that are joining us. We are going through the book of Matthew. We are almost actually finished. This sermon that I'm preaching today actually is going to be the last sermon before just the speed up of what Easter is about. We're going to finish the series, this book, uh, with the book, with, with uh, the last, basically, four chapters of um, this book. And so today, I really feel like this sermon is kind of like Jesus' last words to us. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to actually go through all of chapter 25 today. It's a lot. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an overview from 30,000 feet because I can't actually dive in today because there's so much that I need to cover. But if you have your Bibles and you look at your Bibles, my Bible actually has red sections. Those red sections are the words of Jesus. Anytime that there's red, if you have a Bible that does that, pay attention. Pay attention to what it has to say because what it has to say is very important. What it has to say is Jesus establishing his kingdom culture. This year we've gone through just this idea and this aspect of, of what does it mean for Jesus to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand? How do we live in this kingdom? We talk about this thing called kingdom culture, but what does that mean? And so today we're going to look into the last, pretty much the last teaching that Jesus is giving before he heads to the cross. And so today I've titled my sermon, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Ready or not, here I come. This is something that we all say when, as kids, that when we're playing hide and seek, we go, ready or not, here I come. It doesn't matter whether you're ready, if you've hidden already. Once the person that is seeking is done and he's ready, it doesn't matter if you're ready. So you need to prepare yourself. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we get into the message, let me pray. Lord, Father God, we just come before you and just ask for you to send your spirit down. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and take the words that we are going to look at today, the scripture that we're going to look at today, and Lord, may you take that to challenge the way that we live. Father God, we just ask for your Spirit to flow. Lord, we ask for your, just your kindness, your mercy, your gentleness to come through our lives. So Father God, we lift this time into your hands. May you use me as your mouthpiece. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A great theologian said, stay alert as if the Lord will come tomorrow, but prepare as if he will not come in your lifetime. Stay alert as if the Lord will come tomorrow, but prepare as if he will not come in your lifetime. That is actually the way that we are to live. In Matthew 24, last week, Pastor Rich preached through, these are the signs that are coming. When the Son of Man comes, be prepared because these are the things that you are to look for as signs of the second coming. As Pastor Rich preached through chapter 24, as we looked at um, the ecclesiology of, of the second coming, of Christ coming back of the end times, sometimes we look at the end times and it's daunting, but sometimes we look at it and we, we feel like it is so far away, so far removed from where I am today that really that is to come. But the reality is that as we closed up chapter 24, it says, you don't know the time. You don't know the time that that's going to happen. And so when Jesus says, I'm giving you 
what's to come so that you can prepare, so that you could get ready. And from that point, Jesus goes into two parables here where we're going to look, look at, and then he talks about the final judgment of what it looks like when the Son of Man comes, to, comes back, when Jesus comes back, what it actually looks like, that final judgment. And so we're going to look at the two parables, and we're going to look at that final judgment. The first parable, chapter 25. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, and when the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. So Jesus starts off by giving us this picture of a wedding. And in the Jewish tradition, the wedding, the bridegroom or the groom goes and he, at the end of the, at this, at the, end of the ceremony, he goes and prepares this feast, this, this um, party for all the guests to come. And when the bridegroom comes, there's a procession that goes along with it. And those processions, people carry these lampstands and those ten virgins that... Jesus is talking about our 10 people that have been invited. They already know that the bridegroom is coming, that, that as a bridegroom comes, that they need to be prepared. And so they carry these lampstands. And, and in that Jewish tradition, when they carry these lampstands, all, all of them will bring extra oil with them. It is your personal responsibility to bring oil with them. And so Jesus talks about this. So when we look at these virgins, we're not talking about the church. These are not virgins that the bridegroom is going to marry because the bridegroom, who is Jesus, is going to marry the church. These are people, these are Christians that are invited into the wedding, that are part of the wedding in the sense that they are to come in as part of that procession as the church comes back to Jesus. And so he gives us this picture of people that are believers, 10 of them. Five are foolish and five are wise. You know, sometimes when we think about us living our Christian life, we think that we have time. When we live our life, we always think that we have time. We procrastinate in some of the things that you do. I mean, I'm Especially when I was in school, I was like king of procrastinators. I felt like if the deadline wasn't an hour away, I wasn't motivated enough to actually do the work. For those that are students right now, I know you guys are in exam time. Don't do that. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying the reality is that you, you have a responsibility to be prepared. That when you have made that choice to be like, I'm going to be, I'm going to this wedding. I'm going to be part of this Christian life. I'm living this Christian life. It is your responsibility to be prepared. Every single individual that carries a lampstand, it is their responsibility to make sure that they have extra oil with them. And so when Jesus goes and says, there's 10 that are foolish and 10 that are wise, He's bringing in a truth that sometimes we don't like to agree with because our arrogance takes over. Our arrogance takes over that we, we sometimes like to put our own cultural preferences above kingdom cultural preferences. Where we look at 
kingdom and we look at Christianity and we look at the church and the way that we live, we feel like we know better and we could do better. But here's the truth. In kingdom culture, you're either wise or you're a fool. There is no in-between. You're either wise in the way that you do things or you're a fool. And that's what Jesus is saying, that in this aspect, you're either part of that wise group that is preparing for the, for the bridegroom to come or you're a fool. There is no in-between. There is no, I'm going to choose to live halfway through the door and halfway in my own culture. There is no option for that. That when it comes to things of the kingdom, you either are a wise one or you're a foolish one. Where do you stand? Are you trying to straddle the in-between? Because there's no in-between. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. It actually says that all of them slept. It's not just the foolish that slept. The wise ones slept too. Really, this is not really a picture of people are, like not paying attention. It's about living our daily life that... As we live our daily life, we prepare. There are times of rest and times of, of doing things. And in those times of rest, that we're still prepared. So the, the drowsiness is not talking about like, oh, that the foolish ones slept and they missed the boat. No, it, the sleeping aspect is just live your daily life because you don't know when the bride is, bridegroom's going to come. You don't know when he's going to come. So just be prepared. Just live your daily life. Sleep, do your thing, do live your life, do that kind of stuff. So they all slept, and then all of a sudden, at midnight, there was a cry, verse 6, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamp, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy it, buy it for yourself. And while they were going to buy the, buy, buy the oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So what happens is in midnight, the bridegroom comes, the virgins wake up and they're ready. The wise ones are ready. They have their oil. The, the lamps are burning. The procession is going to happen. Everything is going to, the celebrations are going to begin. The foolish ones that did not bring the extra oil, they're like, dude, I need some oil. Please give me some. Remember, the responsibility falls on the person. And those that had the oils, they're just like, I don't have enough to spare. That's actually, that was your responsibility. This is almost a reflection of our faith. Meaning that sometimes when we believe, we borrow other people's faith. When we're raised in a Christian home, we feel like that faith from home comes onto us. But the reality is that faith, if it is not yours, you're not going to get it. That faith has to be personal. It has to be your own personal conviction. That's what it's about. The ones that, that were fools that had the lamp but did not bring the oil is that they had the outward appearance of every Christian. They were religious in the way that they were doing things. They knew exactly what to say, exactly what to do. But when it came to the inside, the faith wasn't there because the oil is not there. 
It's like having a light without batteries, a flashlight without batteries, a candle without a wick. It means that you have the appearance of it without the substance of it. And if you don't have the substance, you cannot borrow that from somebody else. You cannot get it from somebody else. This is something that you have to prepare. This is something that you have to have. Your parents' faith is not going to transfer over to you. You have to make that personal. It's not that these people didn't know. Remember, the virgins were invited. They knew. They knew the bridegroom was coming. They know, but they were foolish in the way that they lived. They were selfish. They were consumed with, oh, I, I got it. I got it. You know, like sometimes in life it's like, no, you know, I got it. Fake it till you make it. You cannot fake it till you make it when it comes to faith. You cannot. You cannot do that. When the bridegroom comes and he, he calls us out to wake up, that is the only moment that you have. That is the only moment right there for you to do the job that you were called to do, to be a part of that profession, to light those lamps for the world to see and to go into this place. And when the doors close, when the foolish went to go and figure out, okay, now I need to get my oil, sometimes we think that we have enough time to figure out our faith at the end of times. When they came back to the door, they knocked. It was locked. The, master, the bridegroom came and says, I did not know you. You missed it. You missed the boat. The door is shut. It's closed. You're not able to come through anymore. This is hard. Because sometimes we think that because we go to church and we know what Christianity is about, is about that we get to go in. That we're promised the kingdom of heaven. But the reality is just knowing is not enough. Just knowing what Christianity is about, just living the life out of your own accord and trying to figure, live, live this way that you feel like you're supposed to live is not enough. Jesus says that you're not going to get into heaven by what you do, but it's only through me that you're going to get into heaven. So do you have your faith in who Jesus is? We end that parable with, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be on watch. Keep on watch. Watch for what? Watch for the second coming of, of Christ. Be alert. Be prepared. It is your responsibility to prepare yourself for the kingdom. The invitation is already there. You know the invitation. You know what you're supposed to do. You know Jesus has already given it to you. You're already invited. You're part of the family in that sense. But keep watch. Make sure that you are prepared. When Jesus comes, be ready to go. There's no time for you to sort out your family businesses. There's no time for you to then go and say, oh, I... I my, 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 my son and my daughter don't know you yet. Let me, let me make sure that they come in. No, as parents, that's your responsibility. If you want to know when you need to clean up, the answer is right now. If you want to know when you need to sort all these things out, the answer is right now. Sort it out right now. The day that you profess that Jesus is Lord is the day that you sort out and be prepared for his second coming. We then go into the parable of 
of the talents, Jesus goes on and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called to his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to, to the other two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So Jesus goes on and he talks about how it matters how we live. He gives us this, he gives us this parable of talents. In some translations, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. When we talk about the talents, it's, 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 we're, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of dollars. Five talents, between the five, the two, and the one we're talking about in today's dollars, about $1.9 million. Okay, so it's a lot of money. It's a lot of, a lot of things that, so, I mean, people use this parable to talk about financial responsibility and financial stewardship. But what Jesus is really saying here, and, and it is about financial stewardship, but Jesus is saying that God entrusted us. Do you know what it means when God entrusts you with something? That God has given you the responsibility. He entrusts you to be responsible to do the right thing with it. So God has given us a call. And as I, as I was preparing this and I was reading this, as I went through this parable, I had a hard time in trying to figure out the language to use this. Because really what God is trying to talk about here and through this parable is the fruitfulness which is tied to our faithfulness. It's hard because as I'm trying to think about what is the best word to do this and the best word to describe this, I only could come up with how productive are you? And when, when it comes to faith, we don't like to talk about product, how productive we are because our faith is not work-based. Okay? So productive may not be the best word, but I'm going to use that for this sermon because I really can't think of another word to say. So just bear with me in that word of how productive are you? I'm not saying that this is a work-based thing. This is this is faith-based, but there's a responsibility. So he gives one, five talents, one, two talents, and one, one talent. According to what? Their ability. Okay, so this, this master gives it according to their ability. It's not, it has nothing to do with the amount. It's according to what they could handle and what the master sees for them to handle. It has nothing to do with their worth. Okay, the five-talent man is not better than the one-talent man or the two-talent man. The talents represent the person's individual capacity and ability that is given towards them. This is also for us to not compare ourselves. Sometimes when we look at the, the journey that we live and the ministry profile that we have, we start comparing ourselves to others. It's just like, well, they're doing so much more. And they're... No, Jesus has given each person, according to their ability, the stewardship of a certain amount. It's about capacity. It's not about comparison. Okay? I don't want you guys to think that there's a ranking between the five, the two, and the one. Every single one of them are equal, but the master gives according to ability. So some of us have lower capacity to do things. When last week, when my family was battled with this influenza that came through my family, I was knocked out. 
I was knocked out to a place where I was like, I couldn't even stand. I was getting dizzy. And my wife looked at me and she's like, John, that's my capacity. When you are sick, that is my capacity. And so when, the thing is, it doesn't mean that my wife is less capable. It just means that her capacity to handle things is less than what I could carry. The problem that we have actually as part of our leadership is that I'm a very high capacity person, so I carry a lot in this church to the detriment of this church, actually. Because I could do so much that sometimes when you guys come to volunteer, it doesn't really need it. And I'm really bad at delegating, so it's hard for me to be like, oh, you go do this, you go do this. And so I just do everything. But that's according to capacity, so we're talking about capacity here, okay? And so what happens is, if we continue reading, he says, he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but the one who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the five-talent man goes and he, he, he invests the, the money, he goes and does, uses his ability and brings in, doubles his, his, his gift. All, everything that the master's giving, he goes and he doubles it. Same as a two-talent man, he does all, he uses all of his knowledge and he goes and he doubles his gift. The one-talent man, the one that doesn't have very high capacity, is not saying that all one-talent people are like this. One-talent people, I'm sure that if they were faithful, they could go and double their, their capacity. But this one-talent man, we're talking about this particular one in this, in this parable. He goes and he buries his money instead. He goes and he just digs a hole, puts it in, because he doesn't, he's scared to do stuff with it. He doesn't want to do things with it. He doesn't want to be responsible. So he goes and he just buries it. Sometimes that's how we do it in our faith. That when God gives you a specific calling, we get afraid of it and we bury it. That God calls us to a certain lifestyle and certain way to live and certain, certain mi a mindset to have, the kingdom mindset. It goes against what we believe and how we feel and... Our generation goes too much on our feelings sometimes. It's not about how we feel. Because it goes against, kingdom culture comes against our feelings. We, we don't want to act on it. And so what do we do? We take what God has entrusted us with the calling and we bury it. We just say, no, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. God is, I know how God is going to react if I don't do anything well with it. I fear him. I don't want to get his wrath, so I'm just going to bury it and then just ignore it. That's how we live sometimes. That we don't live according to what the, the master has given us. That we don't live according to the resources, the time, the, the money that is given to us, the, 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 the abilities that we have, the, the characters that we have to use it for his kingdom. We get afraid and we get pressured into this cultural aspect. I really hate the culture that we live in right now because there's always these pressures of how we are supposed to be that comes from all over the place and social media exemplifies that by 10 times. I don't like speaking negative of social media. There's a lot of good in it. 
But along with all that good comes with a lot of hurt and baggages that we carry, and it just exemplifies all those things. When God has given you a call, what have you done with it? When God has given you, I want, you to, I want to walk alongside with you, and I'm calling you to this. Some of us in this church have received prophetic calls. Those prophetic words, what, what have you done with it? Are you faithfully taking it in and saying, okay, God, how do we walk together in this prophetic call? Or are we like, mm, I'm not too sure about that, and I think that that isn't actually for me. I'm going to just bury it right now. Because I'm afraid of what others will think of me, what, what the implications of that means, that I have to give up certain things in my life in order to live that life. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and set Settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward and saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you would be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathered where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servants into the outer darkness in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The master comes back, the five-talent man, the two-talent man is like, look, master, this is what I've done. I've been faithful. And the master looks at them. He's just like, you have been what? Good and faithful. And then what does he do? He's like, Come, I invite you to be in what? My joy. To be in my joy. The master invites them to come and be in my joy. When we live according to the way that God wants us to live and use our time, our money, our, our, our abilities, our characteristics for him, we live in his joy. We live under the joy of God and we know that when we, we go and see him, he's going to look at you and say, you have been good and faithful with what I've given you. And then he goes and it comes down to the one talent man. And he, what does he call him? Oh, I love Jesus. He's like, you are wicked and slothful. Yeah, ouch. Wicked and slothful. He's like, even if you took that money and put it in the bank, at least there's interest. At least I would have received that one talent back and, and received the interest that came with it from the bankers, even though you haven't done anything with it. 
but you go and you bury it because you're what? I'm afraid. The, the, the servant literally says, I'm afraid because of who you are. I know how you're going to respond to this. So I was afraid. And so the master's like, if you were afraid, you should have done something more. That if you fear me, then go and do something about it. Sometimes when we live, we waste what God has given us. I don't want to stand here as a pastor and see you waste what God has given you. I want you to live out what God has given you. I want you to live the way that God has positioned you to live. That the job that you have, the family that you have, the friends that you have, that God positioned you there for a reason. Sometimes it sucks, okay? I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be like, oh, everything God gives you is great. Sometimes the places that you are sucks. But make the best of it. Walk with Jesus, draw from Jesus, go to God every single day and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Sometimes when we look at life, we're just like, well, you know what? So much evil happens. Does God really exist? All of these things that are happening, is God really there for me? So many times we, we look at the culture and it's just like, well, God can't exist because there's evil. We always position our cultural preferences and what we know culturally over kingdom culture. We don't understand kingdom culture because we have our own culture that we steep ourselves in and say, this is right. The reality is kingdom culture is above all of that. If you take your thoughts and your, the way that you think and you take it to another country where persecution happens, all of a sudden the things that you think don't actually matter that much anymore because their cultural reference is different. And so the things that they think are important or that they think that God is injustice in is different from yours. And all of a sudden, there's a clashing of cultures. And what Jesus is saying is that there is something that is above all of these things, and that is the kingdom, that, the culture that I have come to set, and that culture is called kingdom culture. And I need you to live in that place. Sometimes when we live, we like to, to deny that certain things are supposed to, to go a certain way. That Jesus sometimes, oh, there's a gray, that's a gray area. Oh, I hate that. There is no such thing as a gray area when it comes to kingdom. You're either foolish or you're wise. And as we continue looking, you're either a sheep or you're a goat. There is no half-hybrid goat-sheep thing. That's kingdom culture. You're either in it or you're out of it. That's it. And Jesus is giving these parables in this message at this time because he knows I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. People need to know this is what I've come to establish. This is last straw. This is last message. This is Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to do this. Why am I getting so worked up in this sermon? It's because this is, Jesus is worked up about this. There's an urgency. There's a responsibility. There's, there's fire underneath this. So Jesus goes and he continues to talk. And he says, when the Son of Man comes, in his glory and all angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will come to say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed in my father, inherit the kingdom and prepare for you from the foundations of the world. When the bridegroom comes, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come in full glory. Full glory. That when Jesus returns, that you will know that Jesus is returning. He's going to come with this legion of angels and he's going to, there's going to be a proclamation. He's going to sit on his throne. And believe me, on that day that Jesus comes, your choice better be made. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Because when that day comes, Jesus begins to separate the sheep from the goat. You don't get to be a goat that's trying to become a sheep anymore when Jesus is here. That's not an option. When Jesus comes, you're either a sheep or you're a goat. You're either his or you're not. You don't get to try to go into the wedding banquet without the right garments. Remember in chapter 22? The garment is provided by the king. So when Jesus comes back, the sheep will inherit the kingdom and the goats do not. The sheep, here it says, he goes, they're separate to the right. And Jesus says, for when I... When I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, the sheep, will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here's the thing. This is not saying like, this is not talking about just going out and doing these things. These, all this list of things that the king lists out are examples of how Christians are to live. That the shepherd, is, it always talks about how the sheep know my voice, the sheep know who I am, Right? That sheep know exactly what their shepherd wants them to do. And so the sheep will go and naturally do those things because they know who their master is. And so all of those things that, that we do, sometimes when we look at our life, and, and I mean, I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was just like, okay, I live in a very hypersensitive to danger world. And sometimes when we think about like strangers, you're just like, well, do I help that stranger? Or do I not help that stranger? And we always ask that question. Do we, do we help? those that are in need. It's just like sometimes when I walk through <laughs> sometimes when I walk through Main Street and I see people on the street and they're, they're like sitting on the street, they're smoking and they, they have this big beard and they, they look homeless. Sometimes they're actually not homeless. They're like, they're just hipsters, right? <laughs> hipsters look like homeless people. And uh, I don't want to, sometimes I'm like, I don't want to make a mistake and say, hey, do you need some food? And just like, dude, I make $100,000 a year. I'm just resting. Like, so then you get, you're, you're like self-conscious, like, oh, do I help that person? Do I not? Or else you're, you're in that place, it's just like, um, you want to help somebody, but then you, you, you're just like, but is he psychotic? Do I know him? Like, what if he, like, takes me to some back road and kills me or something like that? It doesn't matter. If you're a sheep, you will know what the right thing to do because the shepherd will be leading you to do the right thing. If you don't know what to do, pray. Ask the shepherd, God, 
how do you want me to help this person? How do you want me to help that person? Even if that hipster was making a ton of money, you could still help him. How? By delivering the gospel. Because he may not know Jesus. A couple weeks back I was preaching and I told you there's two buddies of mine that God convicted me to go and talk to. You want to know what the follow-up of that is? So I spoke to both of them. I feel like if you know who Jesus is for you, it is my responsibility to tell all of my friends that I feel like doesn't know Jesus so that they have that opportunity, that the invitation has been given out to them. So I go and talk to one of my buddies who actually is doing very well in life. He, he's, he's single. He's in his late 30s now. And, and uh, when I was meeting with him, um, I was showing him pictures of Judah, and he was just like, oh, you've become one of those parents that shove their kids into my face. And uh, I was like, yeah, but look, you could have all of this. And he's just like, no, I choose. The way that I live right now, I choose it, okay? Like, I have money. I have free time. I can do whatever I want. Um, I don't need to take care of anybody else. Like, I actually choose my lifestyle. So it's like, no, no, thank you. I don't need you. So I, when I came back from my meeting with him, I, I just felt convicted. I needed to call him. He's in Edmonton. So I said, okay, let's, let's figure out a phone call. I need to talk to you about something. So I talked to him. I said, look... I need you to know that there is another life that you can live in. It's not just having a family. It's not just having a kid. It's a life with Jesus. And I want you to know that everything that I do is to make sure that people know who Jesus is. And so I want to make sure that we have this conversation. I've known him for 30 years of my life now. 30 years. That's a long time. And I just need you to know that this is the way that I live is because there's this man named Jesus that loves me so much that the crazy decisions that I made in life because he, he knows me well. There's some business opportunities that we've, we were able to go into together. He went into it. I decided not to. Because he went into it, now he's making gobs of money and I'm not. But for him, his response is like, John, I know. I know the life that you live. I'm choosing the life that I'm living. And he's like, when it comes to time like that, you'll be the first one I'll call. When it comes to the place that I need to make that decision, you'll be the first that I'm going to call. Now, the responsibility falls on him. I did my part. I spoke from my heart and I presented to him the gospel. Now, it's his responsibility to receive that gospel and do something about it. To my other friend who has once has known. He's like the virgins without the oil, where in some ways he always lived that religious life, but he never had that faith. He doesn't have his own faith. And he's actually chosen very deliberately to not have faith. I mean, he grew up in a ministry family. He's actually a missionary kid himself growing up. He's the one that actually brought me to faith. Actually, it's because of him that I'm a Christian today and that I'm actually walking and doing this as, as my, my, my passion in my life. But he decided that he, I'm, I'm not going to have this. I don't want this faith. He's gone to a place where he's become bitter towards his faith. I called him up and I knew the conversation was going to be hard because his goal right now in life is to convert me to where he is today. That's his goal. He, he, he's said to me, John, you are too smart to believe in something like this. 
He's like, you're such an intelligent person. How do you believe in such a trivial thing? And so I knew my conversation going into it was going to be difficult. Because the reality is he knows scripture. He knows the Bible. He knows it up here. He doesn't live it in here. And so when I had that conversation with him, he, he's like, John, the, the position I've chose is very deliberate. It's not like I was influenced by anybody else. It's very deliberate. I've chosen to do this this way. And I said, I know that. And so I confronted him with things which it was hard for me to say. But because I was a good friend, I said, I need to say this. I said, are you being selfish about it? Do you think you know more than God? Do you think that you are God? Because at the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, and you may not believe that Jesus will come back, but at the end of the day, where will you be? He's like, well, I just believe I'm going to vanish. Well, I'm just like, well, let's read the scripture. In verse 41 of this chapter, it says, I will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The goats are going to a place called hell. You don't have to agree whether hell exists or not. The reality is that hell exists. Okay? It's like you saying that I don't believe gravity is there and you could believe... But the reality is gravity is very apparent and it sits. The reason that you're sitting down on the floor right now is because gravity exists. There's a lot of people out there that believe the world is flat. Do you know that there's a flat earth society? They actually have their first convention in Edmonton coming up. I'm not even kidding you. That they believe that the earth is flat. And they believe it in their core that the earth is flat. But the reality is we've already gone to the moon and we've already looked at the world. We know the world is round. Science proves that the world is a sphere. So you don't have to agree whether hell is there or not. That some, some Christians out there actually doesn't want to believe in hell because they believe it's too harsh. But the reality in scripture says hell exists. That there is eternal fire. And that the, that the devil and his Followers were going to go into that place, that the goats are going into that place. So you don't have to agree. The reality is that it exists and you will go there. You can say, no, I don't, that's too harsh. Well, life is harsh. Kingdom culture is harsh. Life in reality is harsh. You don't need to agree. Jesus doesn't want, need you to agree with it, but the reality is it exists. Okay? And so I told my buddy, I said, look, at the end of the day, you know you're going to hell. And that is going to be your reality. That conversation, how do you think that ended? And it ended with, well, John, that's your opinion. I'm like, well, it's not really. It's not my opinion. That's reality. It's whether you want to accept that reality or not. The scripture talks about how the goats don't actually, they don't feed, they don't, they don't serve, they don't do any of the other things. So it's complete opposite. And it's, Jesus says, though, you're going to go into hell. You're going you're gonna to basically burn. You're going to die. You're going to be separated. You will go away into eternal punishment, and the righteous will go into eternal life. 
Those are your two end results, eternal punishment or eternal, eternal life. That is it, sheep and goat. And the way that sheep live and the way that goats live is very different. Sheep live to serve their master. Goats live to serve themselves. Here's one of the things I want to challenge you with. Take that list of things where it says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Take that list and ask God, how do I do this? How do I serve in this capacity? How do I serve in this place? How do you want me to do this? Because here's the thing that I want to bring out in, in this list. I'm going to be very quick about this. Is that I really believe that if, we're, if we actually take this list and start doing these things, people will actually start seeing the kingdom of God. Sometimes we talk about how we want to we want to pursue these things because if we could pursue these things, then there's a witness that happens and that people will see God. We want to be like the next, I don't know, the next usher or the next, the next backstreet boy or the next, I don't know who, I don't even know who's popular right now. <laughs> All I know who's popular is ping pong baby shark, okay? That's my <laughs> life. It's baby shark. Do you want to be the next baby shark? And say that we're going to influence culture by going into those places. Here's the thing. I promise you, you're going to influence culture by doing these things first. That if you feed this, the hungry, you give drink to the thirsty, that you go and visit the sick, go visit those that are in prison, you're going to impact people for the kingdom more than you becoming the next baby shark. You're going to influence the culture more than being the next CEO of the next big thing. Go and do that first. Every single one of you can do that, by the way. God makes being a Christian very easy for us to do, actually. The actions that we live out, the things that we do, he actually makes it very easy. Go do those things first. If they're sick among you, go visit them. There's people that are in prison, go visit them. Bring the gospel to these people. That's basically it. What defines you? What motivates you? What causes you to do the things that you do? And ask the worship team to come on up. What defines you? What motivates you? And what causes you to do the things that you do?